I thought about that smoke that rose. That was the first indication that something was wrong. Most people did not see the first jet hit the first tower. Uh, most people did not see that. I believe it was caught, happened to be caught, maybe even accidentally caught, obviously, uh, by video. But most people did not see that first jet. But the first indication of trouble, of course, was maybe the sound that was heard, and yet the smoke, the smoke was overwhelming. That was probably the most horrific part of that first initial shock was all of the smoke. Then the second jet hit the second tower, and there was even more smoke. And all of downtown New York City, Manhattan, and all the way across to New Jersey and even to Connecticut, all the boroughs were affected by that great smoke. And I thought of, of, of smoke. I thought of all the scripture. I looked up all the verses in the Bible that have the word smoke. You'll be amazed at the word smoke that is mentioned many times in the word of God. But then I thought about the word storm. <clears throat> I want you to look at uh, this passage, Isaiah 29 and verse number 6. Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. You say, you think that was God? Well, obviously God is not the author of confusion, number one. Amen? The word of God is clear about that. God is in total control this morning. You say, well, why is this happening? We'll get to that. But let's start with the foundation. God is not the author of confusion. Number two, God is in control. And number three, God knows what's going on. And I'm telling you, number four, God has a purpose and a plan in all of this. God allows, and it's kind of interesting, in the last few weeks and months, I've been preaching several messages about suffering. In the last few years, we've tried to prepare God's people, each of us, to be prepared for tragedy and from, for heartache. And we've tried to prepare people out of this blessed book. It doesn't matter what other books may say, but it does matter what God's Word says, and that's what we preach from. And so we want to prepare you out of the Word of God. And we want every one of us to be prepared in our hearts, not only to say, well, it's there, I'm prepared, but now it has to be transferred here. And we have to be prepared in our hearts. We have to have a heart and a mind and a soul and a body, a whole being that's surrendered to God. Now, praise God for government. By the way, God created the United States government and God created all the hundreds of other governments around the world, not because it was his first plan, but it was in response to man's sin. Okay, God's first plan was the garden, Adam, and fellowship with God. Then God saw fit to bring along Eve, and God created the first home. That was God's first human government. But because man sinned, God had to create a corporal government uh, to keep things in check. And so God is not saying that the United States government is perfect. It certainly isn't. But yet the government today is God's plan now. He has the home first and then the government. And then, of course, he created the church. That was the outgrowth of the cross and the believers who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think of government, we need to realize that government needs to be prayed for. We need to honor. The Bible commands us to honor our government and to pray for our government, even though it is not perfect. You see, 
We always point our finger at the government, but really the government is the people. I realize sometimes uh, it gets away and there's a handful of people who are in control, but yet it's the people and we can make a difference through God in prayer. Let me tell you, you have not, the Lord said, because you ask not. I often think about that. You have not because you ask not. And God is only going to give us that which is his perfect will. At least that's what we ought to hope for. Amen. We don't want his... His permissive will. Sometimes we just keep knocking and keep knocking and we say, all right, God, you gotta give me that. And God says, that's not my perfect plan. But sometimes He allows us to have some things that we didn't really, we should not have had. But yet, my friends, as we think of the government, as we think of our country and we think of our need this morning, I think of three storms. I think, first of all, the storm in New York City and Washington, D.C. Some of you were touched personally by that. I have no knowledge of anyone right here this morning. But uh, you might have been personally touched by that. And our hearts go out to you. So there's that first storm, the storm that is afar. Secondly, there is the storm that is near. And that storm will very possibly come in many people's lives. If they miss the storm from afar, and they miss the storm that is near, they will not miss the storm that is personal. That is personal. Because the Bible says we will all stand before the Lord. We will all stand before the Lord. And that is the storm that's personal. You say, well, pastor, when I get before the Lord, it's going to be a glorious time. That will be the calm in the midst of the storm, let me assure you. Okay? Because that storm can also be a heartache if we haven't lived our life for Jesus Christ. You see, that storm can be a heartache. It can be a wonderful blessing, and I hope it will be for every believer. And to stand before the Lord, the Lord opens up the pages, and he takes our life like a book. And he takes the page for today, and he opens up September the 16th, 2001, and he has written there every last detail of our life that day. He knows about this morning. He knows about this afternoon and this evening, and he carries it coming. He knows every detail of our life. He knows what we've done. He also knows what is his will for our life. And if we have deviated from that will, that's what we plan to follow. So there's three storms. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and look into the Word of God, first of all, to the book of Jonah. If you will turn to Jonah, please. Jonah. Jonah has been on in the Old Testament book. The, Jonah has been on my heart this week because I've thought so much about America and how we as God's people, I believe, have been touched by the voice of God through this terrible incident, this terrible national tragedy. And God has been using this like he used Jonah of old to say, people, I am going to bring judgment unless you turn to me. And I see America, and America needs to turn to God this morning. But yet, America cannot turn to God until the people of God get right with God. Here we find Jonah, and Jonah chapter 1 was a believer. He was a man of God, who then in turn, when he heard the voice of God to do something, he ran from that voice. And America has been running from God. God's people have been running from God. You say, not all of us. Well, amen. Praise God. There will always be a righteous remnant. Amen. But I believe there's a lot of believers who've been running from God. People who truly have been born again in the Spirit of God. And they've been running from 
God. And God's been calling to them. And they've turned a deaf ear. And they say, oh, let's hide from God. We want to still have our fun. We'll show up to church, you know. We'll show up to church. We'll even carry our Bible. We'll even pray high-sounding prayers. But God knows the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God knows the heart. And he's been looking at our hearts. And he's been saying, you know what? You have pride in your heart. And you have sin in your heart. And you have, you have your own sinful desires in your heart. And you don't really love me like you ought. You don't have a heart from me. You will listen to someone before you listen to me. You say, well, I have to listen to my wife. <laughs> we need to listen to God first. Well, I need to listen to my husband. You need to listen to God. And honor your husband, let me tell you, my friends. But yet, you need to listen to God. Men, women, boys and girls and teenagers in here, every single one of you can have a heart for, for God. You say, well, I'm just a kid. Some of the greatest servants of God, men and women, boys and girls, were servants for God when they were young. God used boys and he used girls in a mighty way. He's not a respecter of persons, not at all. Yes, he used some mighty young people all the way through the word of God. In fact, when you think about it, just stop and think about it. How many of the great servants of God that were mentioned in this blessed book were young? Were young. Some even children. You say, well, you know, my kid, you know. I hope they come and follow the Lord when they get to be adults. They will not follow God until they get that heart for God. And that is a whole lot easier and still when they are young. Oh, may I challenge you this morning. Let's get a hold of our our, the thrones, throne of grace ourselves as adults and let, let's be burdened about the, our boys and girls and our teenagers. Not just kind of, you know, whitewash or eye salve or just kind of, you know, just putting it on. But yet really getting a heart for these young people. All right, Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, <clears throat> the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice that he rose up to flee, and then unto Tarshish. But notice, from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that something? He rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. Is that what Americans are doing this morning? Fleeing from the presence of the Lord? Praise God, there are some. I wish it was all 275 million people approximately who live on this, on this, in this country. But there are some who are fleeing to the presence of God this morning. Amen? It's not just good enough to be in the church house. Amen? I'm glad you're here. That's a good start. Okay? That's a good start. But it's not just good enough to be here. We need to get on our knees before God. Now, that's not just preaching around here. People say, yeah, we heard preaching. Uh, We don't need to just hear preaching. We need to start living, living the Word of God. And so... When we get to the invitation in the altar call this morning, may we be on our knees before the presence of the Lord. Amen? You say, do I have to go forward and do that? No. But you can do that right there by your chair, and I hope every one of us will. Notice old Jonah. He fled from the presence of the Lord. He, uh, he was running, wasn't he? Huh? But the Lord, I like the next verse, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. There was a storm. There was a storm. Jonah had heard of storms from afar. He even had storms in his life up close. He'd been probably drenched in a rainstorm one time. But this was the storm that was personal. This was the storm that was up 
close, wasn't it? Because this was the storm that God said, J-O-N-A-H. This is Jonah's storm. If you get to be before the Lord by trusting in you, Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, and you avoid the storm from afar, though we haven't avoided that, but that's what we see in the But you avoid the storm that's up close. Maybe it's your family. Let me assure you, you will not avoid standing before God. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You say, Pastor, that sounds terrible. For those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be the most wonderful experience if they're right with God. The judgment seat of Christ is for the believer, according to the word of God. The judgment seat of Christ. It is the most wonderful judgment in all the world because we'll be, for the first time, in the very presence of the Lord. Think of those who've actually seen God in this earth. I think of Enoch who walked with God. God seen Adam walk with God. Adam and Eve walked with God. Enoch also walked with God. Uh, Noah <coughs> walked with God. Abraham walked with God. Think of Moses. Moses went up to Mount Sinai. And there, the wonderful presence of God visited him and gave him those wonderful commandments. Amen? Amen. There he was. I mean, whew. They believe they found the real Mount Sinai. And up there, this location, uh, this uh, Jabal Allah over in Saudi Arabia, uh, the, the very top of the mountaintop is just scorched. It's scorched. And the rocks are very shiny, but they're scorched up there. I mean, there's no volcanic activity for hundreds of thousands of miles. But this one mountaintop is scorched rock. And there, they've taken the rocks and broken them, and there's solid granite inside, but on the outside, Was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. My friends, let's go to the presence of God. I get calls periodically. People call and say, so and so died, Pastor. So and so died. And their hearts are tenderized at that moment. And they want to talk about spiritual things. The only other time I ever heard them talk about God was taking God's name in vain, some of them. But all of a sudden, Pastor, why did God allow this to happen? Why does it take something of great seriousness to get our attention? Why don't we just come to the Lord on our own? You know, it'll be interesting to see. And I challenge you in love this morning as to where your heart will be if the Lord tarries in seven more days. You're here, praise God. Don't knock it, I'm here, preacher, can't you see? Yes, I'm glad you're here. But God wants your heart. He doesn't want just your body. He wants all of you. You're here this morning, seven days from now. Seven hours or less from now, we will be back here again. We have soul winning for you that are part of our fellowship here, a member of our church. We encourage you to be out at 4.30 this afternoon. There, I said it. It's in the bulletin. Okay, people say, well, you didn't say it. <laughs> I know I'm trying to cut down on the commercials. Okay, it's there in the bulletin 430 this afternoon. We will go out into our neighborhood. 
and talk to people about Jesus. Oh, so many are receptive here. They are so receptive. They want to talk. And now, as we heard of one of our ladies share a testimony, many hearts have been softened. softened. May we not just go on our merry way. What's it going to take? Is it going to take the storm from from afar? Was that enough to wake up America? Sad to say, I'm afraid so far it's given up fear. It doesn't appear. You say softening hearts or sad. But you know what we see? Look at Jonah. When Jonah got right with God, he went and preached in Nineveh. I want you to turn back to chapter 3, verse 1. You know, it took chapters 1 and chapter 2 to get Jonah to be the man of God. Didn't take long for the people to get right, the ungodly, once they finally saw the Christians right with God. Amen? That's what God is looking for. He's looking for his own people to get right. You know, we sing that song to the boys and girls. Do you know, a Christian, you're a sermon in shoes. God is looking for people to be a sermon in shoes. Not just with their mouth. And look at that great fish spit out Jonah. And there he was on the seashore. And he took off in the direction of Nineveh as fast as he could. He started preaching already before he even got to Nineveh. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh. Why did God put that verse there? God makes no mistakes. That's a critical verse. And God spoke to Jonah a what? A second time. You say, well, God will give me a second time. He's giving you a second time every second you have. He's giving me a second time every second I have. Thousand one. Thousand two. Thousand three. There's a third time, Brother Cleveland. Amen. Thousand four. Thousand five. He's giving us a chance. Verse number two. Verse number one. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Chapter three, verse two. Rise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it. The preaching that I bid thee. Not your preaching, but what I tell you to preach. Amen. Verse 3, so Jonah rose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of what? Three days journey. Chapter 3, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried. All the people outside of town. All the people out there in the fields. He started preaching. Repent! Repent! Turn to God! He's going to destroy you! That's our message this morning. As you study the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and you study other passages of Scripture that deal with the end times, where is America? Preacher, don't, don't talk like that. We, we are a God-fearing nation. I know that most of the missionaries that go around the world do come from our country. I didn't say all, but most. You have stats on that? No. But I believe that. I believe that most of the people going and leaving their homeland, leaving their families, to go as Christ has compelled us, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And by the way, every preacher too. A lot of preachers sitting in pulpits that aren't even saved this morning. And they're telling people, oh, just smile. Be happy. Get back to normal. Oh, America... Uh, pray for your enemies. Well, that's true. We should. It's a Bible verse. 
But let me share this with you. America needs to listen to the voice of warning of God. We need to say, listen, God is talking to us. He's warning us. Come and kneel before you. Humble yourself. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And he cried in verse number four, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. September 11th. Let's say God gives America 40 days. That's not too far off, is it? Already five days, five or six days have gone by, depending on how you count. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Five or six days. If God gave America 40 days, are we to wait to the 39th day and cry out to God? No. Let's get right with God today. I don't think the Ninevites waited. I think they responded like that. Responded. Responded. Now I can sit up here and preach and bemoan all that people aren't turning back to God and you can bemoan that. We are the people. We need to be the people of revival. We're the ones that know Christ. They're saved. Not that we're any good at all. We're sinners saved by God's grace. But we know the salvation of God. We need to have revival. They don't need revival. They need to be alive first. They need salvation. All right? Notice, 40 days, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh, what? Believed God and proclaimed a what? A fast. And put on sackcloth. That's mourning clothes. Mourning. Funeral. Death clothes. Mourning clothes. Clothes of mourning and sorrow and sadness. And put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. By the way, the king and queen of Nineveh, whoever was the leader there, they came out of their palace. They came out of their homes. They sat on the street with the others. And there they sat. Out of the streets, kneeling before God in sorrow, sackcloth, ashes, sign of sorrow and repentance. And they tied up and go, oh God, forgive us. We as God's people in this place need to forget about our finery this morning and we need to say, God, forgive us. Forgive us for being a nation that was founded upon this blessed book but has gone so far away from you. If my people which are called by my name my people, the people of God. And verse number six, for the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. If you ever had a campfire, you douse those ashes, you put that fire out, but you sure don't go kneeling in them, do you? You don't say, well, I'm going to sleep right here tonight. I'm going to lay out here across these ashes. No. But yet, it was a sign of sorrow. Sign of sadness. Verse 7. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. They were serious, folks. This wasn't just a... Uh, a, a good fast. This was a this was an extreme fast. You can fast very well, 
and and certainly should uh, and have just water intake. But when you have no food or water, let me share. Forgive me for this illustration, but let me share it this way. My family, my children ask me, why do those people jump out of those windows? I don't know exactly, but I thought about it. Why did they, hundred some floors up, jump out of those windows? That's sure death. All I can think of was their offices were completely engulfed in fire and flame. And they would rather jump to their death than burn or to have a long, longer, more painful death. I don't know. Maybe you have a better idea. Share it with me after church. But why? Why? These people saw their lives were over. God was going to destroy the city. And what was the key? They believed God. America, who has been so greatly blessed, doesn't believe God. A lot of people just don't believe God today. They're they're explaining all of this away in such a nice little box. I have, maybe you've heard some, but I I can't recall in the barrage of information this week hearing too many people say on the secular media, America needs to get right with God. This is a wake-up call from God. I don't know that I've heard that at all. Oh, I think they were a lot more concerned at first, but as human nature goes, every day goes by, they get less and less and less concerned and and uh, so on. And they're busy using this for their own sinful agendas. Ooh, strong preaching, but I believe it. Verse 7, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Now, obviously, the king is putting out the decree. He isn't saying, well, this is optional. He's saying this is the way it's going to be. And I, I realize not everybody in our country would repent. But if our leaders would say, we, are, we need to get right with God. And we are not, they've wrung their hands over everything from baseball to football to everything under the sun. Oh, we've got to get back to normal to our games. I believe some of those people would be watching football while the world would burn around them. But the king said, Oh, that we would repent that God would somehow be merciful unto us. And he said, I am sorry. I am repenting. And everyone is going to repent. Everyone's going to at least have no food nor water and not even the cattle. We're not even taking time to feed the livestock. Let them not taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Next verse. Isn't this a great verse? Verse 10. And God saw their works. God is not blind. 
He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. He did not destroy them. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to forgive them. Because I see their true repentance and change of heart. Does God see that in your life? You see, America is only one person at a time. When I gave the number of 275 million, it's an approximate. That looks like a big number. We go to uh, an event and there's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people there. We're just like, wow. If you're a little kid, you think, wow, the whole world has showed up here. Not knowing that there's over 6 billion on the planet. But when you think of 275 million, one at a time, God can see each and every heart. And America is only going to be one, one at a time. Each and every one will stand and give an account before God. Now, I told you about the judgment for the saved, but I didn't tell you about the judgment for the unsaved. It's not a judgment of what we did after we got saved because the unsaved are not saved. (laughs) It's a judgment for the unsaved and it's called the great white throne and it's a judgment of their repentance or not. Did they really repent or not? God will open up the books and because they're there, obviously they're doomed, but God is a just God and he will open up the book of life. I'm not trying to scare you just to scare you. I'm only trying to tell you the truth, okay? Not to scare you into heaven. Nobody is necessarily scared into heaven. They Yes. All right? And so you say, well, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to see you get saved. Because I don't want to see, like the Lord says, He doesn't want to see any parish. Did you say join this church? No. That wouldn't save a flea. Did you say uh, become religious? No. You say, well, Pastor, I've been raised in a good church. I've been in a good family. I think everybody in my family is going to heaven. You know, it's more than, well, I think we're all going to go there. After all, we're good people. It's not by your goodness or your family's goodness or by your influence or your good deeds or anything. It's not that at all because the Bible clearly says in Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 8 and 9, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Have you trusted in Christ receiving his gift of grace? Have you? Receiving his gift of grace? Realizing you're a sinner, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. I'm so sorry. I admit, God, that I'm a sinner. Jesus had to die on the cross so that I could be saved. Thank you, Lord, for dying for my sin. Forgive me and be my Savior. Instantaneous salvation according to the Word of God. Instantaneous. You say, well, then I could wait till the very end. I mean, just before I die, and I could ask Jesus to say, why would you put off the greatest gift in all this world? And let me tell you what, people who say, I'm going to wait till some other day, they miss salvation. They miss it. They miss it. They miss it. They miss it. God is not going to be trifled with. God is not going to be trifled with.